Hey, all you fraidy cats and kittens. I'm Whitley. And I'm Brian. And this is Deathly Afraid. Ooh. <laughs> See, I do it right for you. <laughs> I do it right for you. I do it right for you. <laughs> uh, Brian's ordering pizza while we're talking, so. Yeah. We haven't eaten yet today, and we're busy the rest of the weekend, so this was our only day to record. Right. Yeah. So, how was your day? It was good. <laughs> Exciting. We, me and Ralph got the engine tore out of the stain. So now we just got to put the other one in and she'll be ready to sail. Ooh. <laughs> we decided we're going to take the guy's trip up the coast in it and catch some fish before we sell it. Oh. I don't know how this is going to happen. But... I was going to say, where are you getting the money, honey? <laughs> Ralph is putting the bill. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Ralph. You're a good friend. <laughs> <sighs> um, I always do this where I think of things that we need to talk about. I do not write them down. And then we get to this point and I was like, hmm, what were we going to say? Right. Yeah. So I'm first. You are first. I'm first this week. Um, yeah, I'm talking about stuff. 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 And I'm sorry to do this to you guys. After I decided not to do a two-parter last week with the Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell, Tyler Ryan, and JJ Vallow, you know, all the murders. Decided not to do a two-parter. I'm doing a two-parter this week. So, apologies to everyone that do not, that do not. That does not like two-parters. We are going to be talking about the Ken and Barbie murders this week. Ken and Barbie murders? Yeah. Have you heard of the Ken and Bar Barbie murderers? I have not. Okay. So, the Ken and Barbie murders are Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. This story actually takes place in Canada. So we have a, yeah, we have a Canadian story. Like, eh? <laughs> like the Canada Gooses? Some Canada Gooses. Um, I also want to preface this story with trigger warnings. There is a lot. Um, so if you cannot handle, you know, things like rape, obviously you can handle murder. You wouldn't be here. Um, dismemberment. There's pedophilia. Just about anything you can have a trigger warning about. This crap couple did it. Dang. So they are winners. Um, I'm not gonna get 
Towards the end, we'll, we start getting into the murders. And then next week, we cover the remaining murders and then, like, the trial and everything. So I'm going to start off um, giving you a little background on both Paul and Carla. So we're going to start with Paul. Um, Paul Bernardo was born in Scarsboro, Ontario, on August 27th of 1964. Bernardo's father was a disgusting human being. He oftenly sexually abused Paul's older sister, Deborah, and sometimes just even in front of family members. And I want to know why people were letting that happen. Right? Like, why is no one helping her? Yeah, it sounds kind of off. Right? And so then um, he was also like a peeping Tom and just like a gross person. He later was charged with crimes like in involving like voyeurism and pedophilia so he did get in trouble later on in life but it just seems weird that he was just so comfortable doing it in front of people like yeah what is wrong with you who cares so yeah he's a real pos <laughs> um paul's mother was not much better i mean she wasn't doing all this sexual stuff like whatever but um, she really kind of withdrew drew from the family, um, due to depression and whatever, which is understandable considering her husband is literally molesting her daughter in front of her. Yeah. She eventually moved into the basement of their home, just separating herself from the family and just kind of like, you guys are on your own. It, it's weird. Huh. Um... Paul, by all accounts, just, like, he presented himself as just being, like, a really happy, well-adjusted child, even though his home life was crap. Um, we obviously know, like, now, because I'm doing a, or doing a story on them, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> he was not a happy, well-adjusted person at all. Um, he gradually developed... Uh, pyromaniatic inclinations and dark sexual fantasies. And one of the things that I seen on there was um, he had a fantasy that was him creating a virgin farm where he would breed virgin girls to rape. Like, who thinks of this crap? Right? Like, weird. Um, in 1981, when Paul was just 16 years old, after a fight between his parents, his Mother informed him that his father, Kenneth, was not actually his father and that Paul was the result of an extramarital affair. And um, he is disgusted by this and started calling his mom a slut and a whore regularly, just whenever he had the chance. Um, she would return by calling him a, a bastard from hell, which, I mean, true. But <laughs> what kind of mother says that to their child? Right. So great parenting skills all around. Great upbringing. Um, Paul's first girlfriend basically got sick of his crap and his domineering behavior. And she ended up breaking up with him for one of his friends. Which obviously Paul was not going to let her get away with that. So he set fire to all the things of hers that he had in his possession. <laughs> He'll teach her. Yeah. Um, Paul attended Sir Wilfrid Laurie Collegiate Institute. 
if I could say words. And, and then in 1982, the University of Toronto in Scarsborough. Paul really got off on humiliating his dates in public. Um, his relationships, his relationships, they are relationships. That's what they are. His relationships. <laughs> his relationships um, became increasingly violent and unstable. And he would threaten his partners with death if they disclosed any ab- abuse. And then in 1986, he actually was served with a restraining order by two women, two different women, after he had made obscene phone calls to them. In October of 1987, Paul met Carla Homolka while she was visiting Scarsborough to attend a pet store conference. And the two shared an immediate attraction. So now we're going to talk about Carla Homolka. She is just as disgusting as Paul, and we hate her so much. Do we? We do. Okay. Me and you together. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> You're going to hate her by the end of this. So, Carla was born May 4th of 1970 in St. Catharines, which is a small city in Ontario. Her father was Carell, I think is how you say it. He was an immigrant from Czechoslovakia. And he worked as a traveling salesman while her mother, Dorothy, would stay at home with the kids. Carla is the oldest of three girls. Her sisters are Tammy and Lori. And her father was also just no fun. He was abusive and he was an abusive drunk. And Carla would often sit and like comfort her sisters while her parents would fight. Uh, Carla supposedly loved animals, is what she tells people. In her early school days, she actually did really well and actually had a pretty high IQ. I can't remember what it said it was, but it was it was a good one. Probably better than mine, <laughs> considering I can't even talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, as she got older, she started actually showing some pretty dark characteristics. And... Um, in fact, one of Carla's friends recalled um, when they were growing up, her friend's name is Renya Hill. Um, she said that there was an instant where they were hanging out at Renya's house. Carla decided she wanted to see if Renya's pet hamster, George, would fly. So she struck a pillowcase around George and to act as a parachute and threw him out the second story window. Obviously, huh. the pillowcase folded in on itself and George just plummeted to the ground. And then this part I kind of thought was weird. They were like, Oh, it took him two weeks to die, which at that point, who knows if the death was actually related to it going out the window because hamsters don't live long anyway, but still who throws a hamster out a window. Gotta give him something better to fly with though. (laughs) Like a little paper airplane. Yeah. Um, so then a few weeks after the George, you know, George was dead, um, Carla had Renya dig him up so she could just mess with the corpse. That's weird. Right? It's super weird. Like, I've seen kids, like, poke a dead bird with a stick or whatever, but it's like, why? They can tear it apart. Like, dig it up. I want to, I want to mess with your little hamster that I threw out the window. So then Renya also told of another story that um, 
they had gone to the park together with Carla, and she began taunting a young disabled girl who was, she was there with her brother, and so basically her arms were about half the size of like a normal, normal, who's still a normal kid, but of a typical kid's arms. Yeah. And so... Basically, her hands only, like, stretched across her chest. Like, that's as far as they would go. And um, Carla started telling her that she had sill arms and belonged in a zoo. And obviously, the girl begins crying and is super upset. At this point, other kids start gathering around, which kind of hyped Carla up. And so she just kept going with it. And by the time, you know, it's all said and done, all the other kids and her slapping their palms together, making still noises and just taunting this poor little girl. Messed up, yo. Right? Like, if one of our kids, if I found out one of our kids did that or participated, I would just be disgusted. Like, why? Like, why would you do that to another human being? It's just wrong. Yeah. And it's a poor little girl, you know? Um. So, at this point, Carla really just begins doing anything that could get, like, a rise out of people. You know, she wants the shock value. Um, I've seen she started dressing in, like, all black and stuff, which, who cares? <laughs> like, why is that getting a rise out of people? She's gothic. Right. Um, I don't really know why that's an issue, but okay. Uh, Carla had a high school boyfriend named Doug, and he said that... You know, basically, whenever Carla didn't get her way, she throws a little bebe fit. It's like too weird. A bebe fit. <laughs> and she would threaten to kill herself until she got what she wanted. Which is pretty dramatic. Yeah. Like, come on. Um, Carla began to work at a pet store because, you know, she loves pets. Loves animals. She loves to see them fly. <laughs> or not fly. Um, just before she graduated high school, she starts working at this pet store. And um it was at this pet star pet star. Pet star. <laughs> so like American Idol for pets. Right. Star. <laughs> Minnie would win. So it was at this pet store that Carla and her coworker Debbie were invited to attend a pet expo. On behalf of the store, the expo, the expo, I really can't talk. The expo was held at Hojo, Hojo in Toronto, which I don't know what a Hojo is, but it's in Toronto. Is it like a dojo? (laughs) Maybe. Hojo the dojo. Um, so Carla and Debbie were sitting there having dinner, you know, and Paul and his friend Van Smirnin, Smirin, Smirnies. I can't, that's a weird name. Smirnies. Smirnies. Um, so they approached him while they're eating dinner and they asked the two if they could join them. Carla and Paul later said that it was love at first sight. They ended up going back to the girls' hotel room and Debbie and Van were basically just ignored and sat there awkwardly as Paula and Carla began having sex for four hours. Holy crap. How was that even a thing? I don't know. That 
just there's a line right of what's too much and they passed it hours ago <laughs> that's it three hours and 59 minutes ago <laughs> so yeah i don't even that's just crazy to me also in front of people they were in front of them yes they just sat there all and honestly if i was debbie and paul or not paul, debbie debbie and van i would have left i'd have been like right? okay we're gonna take off bye so it was after this you know they kind of began seeing each other regularly, but Carla lived in St. Catharines and Paul lived in Scarsborough, which I don't know how far away that is, but I know it was like a like couple hours, I think, was the drive. St. Catharines? Yeah, St. Catharines and Scarborough. Scarsborough. Scarborough? Scarborough. I just lost it, so. Just like I lost my mind. So basically, after this, Paul began visiting Carla on the weekends at her parents' house. And her family loved Paul. Where was the first place, sorry? Scar? Scarborough. Hour and 17 minutes. Yeah, so basically like maybe driving to Twin or something. Yeah. Anyway, so her family loves Paul. And he also, keep in mind, he's like... Quite a bit older than her. She's 17 and I think he's like 23. Dang. And her family loves him. Like, I'd be like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, go away. <laughs> but anyway, he would wait for the family to all go to sleep. And then he would sneak into Carla's room to have sex. But after a while, Paul starts getting bored of the same thing every day, every time. And suggested they try something new and spice things up. Do you have any guesses how they spiced things up? You can't read ahead. Mom? I don't know. <laughs> Mom, join us. No. Paul's idea of spicing things up was to go outside, peep in Carla's little sister Tammy's room, who's 12 at the time, while Carla, you know, satisfied him. However you want to say it. What the hell? Would watch Carla's sister, who is 12. That is just not right. He's 23, right? <laughs> yeah. So Carla thought that was a fantastic idea. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. What is wrong with people? Right. Like, this is so gross. So while he's... Doing this whole driving back and forth, you know, visiting Carla every weekend. He's actually already in a relationship with another woman named Jennifer back in Scarborough. Um, and that's where he goes to college. This relationship ended on his graduation night when Jennifer gave him a sweater as a gift. Which apparently enraged him so much, he had to go out in the parking lot and do donuts. So that's what I do when I rage. <laughs> what is I'm going to go do donuts in the parking lot. I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm spinning circles. Like that, I don't know why that made me laugh so much. That's funny. He's like, you gave me a sweater? How dare you? I you have to go do donuts. I don't want to be warm. <laughs> so, um, 
Jennifer goes out and is like, like, you need to stop. And then she breaks up with him. So Paul's like, all right, you know, offers Jennifer a ride home, which she accepts. And when they got to a stoplight, Paul grabs her by the hair and just hits her. He continues to do this at every stop. Then he takes her out to a secluded road and pulls out a knife, which he fumbles and drops between the seats, luckily for her. And at which point Jennifer jumped out of the car and just like took off. Like, what? Why? <laughs> you gave me a sweater. I'm so mad I'm doing donuts. Now I'm going to stab you for it. Like, I get, yeah, she broke up with him too, but why? Like, it must have been one ugly sweater. Right? It's a real shit sweater. <laughs> so now it's just Paul and Carla together, you know, where sex life starts to ex- escalate. 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 <laughs> um, to extreme BDSM. Like, they're just getting crazy now. Which, I mean, if that's your preference, that's cool. Whatever. I'm not knocking it. Whatever people want to do, but. Um, at one point, Paul asked Carla what she would do if he was a rapist. And she's like, that'd be cool. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, that's a rapist. Nah, whatever. It's cool. Whatever. Whatever you want to do, man. Cool story, bro. You do you. That's cool, man. You do you. So, little did she know, Paul actually had already been raping people. Like, he'd already started his life of committing horrific rapes and actually eventually became known as the Scarborough rapist. So I'm going to just list off some of the rapes. There's not no names or anything, just, you know, dates, ages, whatever, and kind of some situations. So May 4th, 1987, um, there was a rape of a 21 year old in Scarborough. Scarborough. I keep saying scars, Scarborough. There's no S in there. I just, I want there to be an S. (laughs) Can you please change the name? Canada, can you change it? I would appreciate it. (laughs) Um, So it was in front of her parents' house. Um, May 14th, 1987. So only 10 days later. He raped a 19-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. July 17th, 1987. This was an attempted rape of a young woman. Um, He beat her, but he actually abandoned the attack when she fought back. So, he's a wuss. Apparently. (laughs) Um, September 29th of 1987, there was another attempted rape of a 15-year-old girl. Paul had broke into her house, went into her bedroom, jumped onto her back, and put his hand over her mouth and threatened her with a knife. Um, he ended up like bruising her side, the side of her face, and and then he bit her ear. Paul took off when the victim's mother obviously heard something going on, went into the room, and then started screaming because I mean, there's a man on top of her child. Um, one thing I wanted to note about this one is that a man named Anthony. Hain Mayer, I can't say it, too many A's, um, was actually wrongly convicted of this assault in 1989 and served 16-month prison sentence, but then was later exonerated 
exonerated when Paul admitted to the crime in 2006. 30 years later. Right? So this man had this on his record. 20 years later, sorry. Something like that. Had this on his record until Paul was like, oh, by the way, I did that. Like, I I don't know. It sucks. It sucks for him. Right. Um, on de- December 16th, 1987, there was a, a rape of a 15-year-old girl. So if you see it, they're all like underage, except for a couple of them. They're yeah. all children, basically. Um, so the day after this one, the Toronto Police Service issued a warning to women in Scarborough traveling alone at night, especially those riding the bus. Um, so it took like four rapes for them to be like oh we might have a serial rapist like you guys should probably be careful right um december 23rd of 1987 there was a rape of a 19 year old girl with a knife april 18th of 1988 he attacked a 17 year old girl may 25th of 1988 paul was actually almost caught by a uniformed police officer Stalking out a bus, stalking out a bus shelter, the officer noticed him hiding under a tree and pursued him on foot, but Paul escaped. So, I mean, it would have been awesome if he caught him at that point because it could have been over. But you'll see it probably wouldn't have been over because he talked his way out of a lot of them. Um, May 30th, 1988, he raped an 18-year-old woman in Missagua, Ontario. Probably not how you say that. I apologize, Canada. Mississauga? Mississauga. Mississauga. Maybe it's like Mississippi, but it's Mississauga. How are you getting the gua? It's G-A. Aga. 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 Mississauga? I want that to be gua. <laughs> I want the U you to can't be... Change. I want the U to be on the other side <laughs> of the A. Yes. You can't just change it because you want it to My be My brain way. changed it. <laughs> He raped an 18-year-old woman in Mississauga. Mississauga. I don't know. You keep looking at me like I'm stupid. So that's about 40 kilometers or 25 miles southwest of Scarborough. I'm probably even saying Scarborough wrong, so. Probably not. What if? Well, yeah. When you add the S, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this is my last October 4th 1988 there was an attempt another attempted rape in Scarborough but the victim had fought him off but Paul had actually stabbed her in the thigh and the butt before she got away and that required 12 stitches November 16th of 1988 he raped an 18-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. So a lot of them are, like, happening at home, which is so scary. And outside. Yeah. You'll be, yeah, when we get to next week, you'll be like, how did this even happen? Um, December 27th, 1988, attempted rape. Um, but a neighbor actually chased him off. So, I mean, at least somebody's doing something. Right. <laughs> June 20th of 1989, there was another attempted rape. Uh, The woman fought back, and her screams alerted neighbors. And Paul 
Paul fled with scratches on his face. August 15th of 1989, there was a rape of a 22-year-old woman. November 21st of 1989, there was another rape of a 15-year-old girl that he actually seen in a bus shelter. Uh, December 22nd of 1989, there was a rape of a 19-year-old woman. Like, this is a lot. Like, just boom, 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 boom. He's just... I don't... And Carla's like, yeah, that'd be cool, man. She's effed up too, though, so you'll find that out. May 26th of 1990, he raped a 19-year-old woman. But this victim actually had a really good recollection of his face, which enabled police to create a computer composite portrait, which was released two days later by the police and publicized in Toronto and surrounding areas. From May to September of 1990, Toronto police submitted more than 130 suspect samples for DNA testing. And investigators received two separate tips from different people accusing Paul. And the the first one was in June that was like a bank employee. And the second one was actually Tina Smearness. Can't say the name. The wife of Paul's friend. Bam. So, um, you know, the one from the hotel? Yeah. That watched him have sex for four hours? Um. So Tina actually told detectives that Paul had been called in on a previous rape investigation. And once in December of 1980, or sorry, he had been called in on a previous rape investigation before in December of 1987, but he had never been interviewed. Paul frequently talked about his sex life to the Smyrnas. You guys, I don't know. And he would... He told him that he liked to have rough sex, which rape and rough sex are not the same thing. No. Not even close. Um, police interviewed Paul on November 20th of 1990 for a total of 35 minutes. They asked him for a DNA sample, which he happily gave to them for forensic testing, which like you've got to have some balls to just be like, here, yeah, I have my DNA. Didn't matter. They didn't test it forever because they had what I heard is they had like one like certified testing place and they were doing all the testing for everywhere around there. So like other cases or who they thought would actually be, you know, higher priority would take that spot. Yeah. So really not a lot happened with that. When so when detec- detectives asked Paul why he thought that they that he was being investigated, he said, "Probably because I look like the composite. <laughs> like probably because that looks like me. I look like the guy that did this, right?" Um, so they found Paul more credible than Tina, which wrong choice, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so but now you're probably like Willie. You've been talking forever, and I haven't heard about one murder. I thought you were said they were killers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I say this stuff. I'm a dork. <laughs> well, old son. That's a big old bobcat, old son. <laughs> I'm getting to it. So, 
as I'm sure you guessed, Paul is getting bored with Carla. And he is infatuated with Tammy, her little sister. Right? So Carla decides she's going to give Paul Tammy's virginity. Which, uh, that's not yours to give, Carla. That's our pizza, yo. Pizza's here. We'll be back. Okay. So, we are back after eating our delicious pizza and, you know, Brian's mom coming over and kids leaving and going. It's an intermission. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so... We left off. Carla decided to give Paul Tammy's virginity, which, like I said, not hers to give. Um, so Carla comes up with a plan that they're going to basically drug her, right? Yeah. So they serve Tammy this spaghetti dinner that is spiked with Valium. And... Um, and Carla had stolen that, that from where she worked at St. Catherine's Veterinarian Clinic. So um, once Tammy passes out, Paul begins to rape her, which only lasts for about a minute before she starts waking up again. Right? So they're kind of like just bagged it at that point. She kept waking up and wasn't working how yeah. they wanted it to. Um, Was she not like, what the F's going on? <laughs> I think that, like, she had enough volume that it was, like, I think I also said they they were letting her drink, too. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just getting the two instances, because there's a second one that I'm about to tell you, yeah. where they definitely were letting her drink, but they might have served her alcohol, and she just thought that's what it was, but I can't remember. Um. So then Carla stole halothane from her work. What is halothane, you might ask? I do ask. (laughs) Well, it's a general anesthetic. Anesthetic. Whitley. Come on. (laughs) It's a general anesthetic um, given by inhalation, and it can be used to induce or maintain anesthesia. So it knocks you you out. And um, one of its benefits is that it does not increase the production of saliva, which can be particularly useful to those who are difficult to intubate. So, I don't know. I looked up the definition because I didn't know what it was. So, on December 23rd of 1990, after a Christmas party at Carla's house, like her family's house, after everyone else had gone to bed, Carla and Paul offered Tammy some spiked eggnog, which she's, I think... I want to say it was she was like 14 at this point. I can't remember exactly, but I want to say 14. Um, of course, you're going to be like, heck yeah, with my big sister. Yeah, I do. You know. Um, unfortunately, the eggnog was spiked with halothane, which is the anesthetic. That, and yeah, I can't say words. <laughs> so now this is where it gets really bad in the story. So, they give her the spiked eggnog. This is so bad. (laughs) So, I'm just going to apologize to all the listeners to the things that are about to come out of my mouth. Because it's bad. Paul grabs a camcorder. 
and he begins recording Carla sexually assaulting Tammy. Then Paul proceeds to rape Tammy, and they're recording this. They're recording the entire thing. So, and it's like a tape of like their family's at the family Christmas party, and then it just cuts to them assaulting Tammy. A bunch of sick ass people. Yeah. So every time Tammy would begin to regain consciousness, Carla would take a halothane soaked rag and cover her face with it, like her mouth and nose. So it would knock her back out and they can continue to do what they're doing. Um Tammy eventually began to vomit and choke on her own vomit. So Carla and Paul begin to panic and call 911. They quickly, you know, hid any ev- evidence that they were doing anything. They got Tammy dressed, you know, whatever. They dragged her up or dragged her into her own room. Tammy never regained consciousness. And she died at St. Catherine's General Hospital. Paul told police that they had tried to revive her and that the chemical burns on her face from the halothane were rug burns from when they tried to drag her into her room. And police say, okay, sounds good. Like, they're just like, yeah, that checks out. Sure. So, and like, she's got chemical burns on her face. Yeah. Like, you couldn't have checked that out? Like, even, like, the autopsy or anything? Like, right. I don't know. That it seems to me like you would be able to tell the difference between a chemical burn and a rug burn. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, all right. So, obviously, the family is devastated and they, you know, just thought she drank too much eggnog, which caused her to aspirate on her vomit. Soon after, Carla and Paul are engaged and move in together, giving them more opportunity for their sick fetishes. So, the next victim is a 15-year-old girl that Carla had actually worked with and befriended when she worked at the pet shop. And um, so, in all the court documents and everything, she's known as Jane Doe because she's obviously a minor and whatever. Uh, So, we're just going to refer to her as Jane. On June 7th of 1991... Carla and Jane had gone out shopping, and afterwards, Carla invited Jane back to her house for some drinks. So, of course, Jane accepted and went back back with her. Carla spiked Jane's drink. Then she called Paul and told him she had a present for him. Like, that's her present? Yeah. The two, again, recorded the entire assault. And, like, they record everything. So, of course, when all this comes out, they can't lie about it. Right. You know what I mean? So, they record the whole thing. When Jane woke up the next morning, she basically just thought she had drank too much because she would never drank before. And she thought she had a horrible hangover and just blacked out, basically. Yeah. Then, the couple invites Jane back in August. Again, they drug her and rape her and record the whole thing. This time, though, she vomited and stopped breathing during the assault. And Carla panics and calls 911. 
Nine one. It's oh, nine one. She nine forgot one. the other one. <laughs> She's like, why aren't they coming? <laughs> she calls nine one one for help and then later calls back saying they no longer needed help because they revived her. So which that to me, like okay, I get her like, oh we revived her, we don't need help anymore. But they actually didn't send any police or ambulance or anything. They were just like, okay. And turned them away. Like, was like, they don't need you anymore. If someone calls and says, hey, this person is not breathing. We need help. They're vomiting, not breathing, whatever. Why would... Like, you would think they would still check up on it, right? Just be like, we know they're breathing now, but like... Right? We need to figure out what happened. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just was like, okay, why wouldn't they still go check it out? So this is where I'm going to stop for this episode. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about the remaining murders, which there's like three more. And, um, then we're going to talk about, you know, how all this came out, they kind of turn on each other, this sort of stuff. And then, um... We'll talk about the court cases for Paul and Carla and where they are now, which is going to piss you off. So, so did that last girl? Did she end up dying, or did like no? She, got she lived. Oh. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, huh. and I might be totally wrong. I'm going to look this up and I'll let you guys know for sure next week. I want to say that the girl did end up committing suicide. After all this. After all the freaking damage. Yes. And like she had to go to court and it was just so much for her, you know, which is horrible. It's like, look what you're doing to people. Right. Like, obviously, they don't care if they're killing people because they actually do kill people. So. And then. I'm not going to give away more stuff from next week. Never mind. Never mind. (laughs) I'm ending it. So. Make sure you guys do listen next week for part two of this story because it gets worse. Which, how do you get worse? But they figured it out. Right. So, yeah, that is my story this week. Disgusting story. Good thing I decided to do two parts. Right. We're, yeah. So, what are you going to tell me about this week? So this week, I am going to talk about the Higabon, a.k.a. the Japanese Bigfoot. Huh. I've never heard of the Higabon. Me neither. I, like, I watched a lot of those, like, Finding Bigfoot shows and stuff, and I remember them talking about one in Japan that's kind of like Bigfoot, but it's... A lot smaller and stuff, like different features. So, I figure okay. I'll do one about that since we talked about another thing from Japan last week, and maybe I'll find some good stories on the American Bigfoot Ooh. for an episode or two or five. Just kidding. <laughs> so. The Higabon is described as a black creature with white hands and large white feet, standing about five feet tall, and has been said to resemble a gorilla. So, so it's probably a gorilla. <laughs> so it said it resembles that, but I know like the American Bigfoot, like everybody's like, oh, it's like seven to nine foot tall, and right. So it, 
for me, that seems more of what you would call a Bigfoot, I guess, but maybe... I've never seen a Bigfoot. I don't know. I was going to say something, right? No, just don't. <laughs> Won't say it. Okay. It has to do with height. He might be super uh, tall to them. I don't know. I'm sure they know the difference, though, between seven and nine feet. I'm talking about, like, a five-foot-one. Five foot's tall to me. <laughs> five foot? Something. Three to five, somewhere in that range. <laughs> I'm telling you. So Brian measured me the other day. We're going to take a short or a shortcut or a detour. We're taking a detour. So we were at his grandma's house and there was a tape measure. And so he decided to measure how tall I was. And I've been 5'3 forever. I go to the doctor. They tell me I'm 5'3 when they measure me. Brian gets 5'5. Five five. And I was like, Either my feet are super fat right now and I've gained a couple inches or you put it at the base of my butt and got the two inches by going around it. <laughs> nope. <sighs> so Brian doesn't know how to measure. We found that out when we were doing our bathroom and he measured the planks too long. So <laughs> I had to repaint the whole bathroom when we scuffed the walls up. Too long. I measured them right. Okay. We just... Didn't take into effect. Into effect. Into account that we'd have to. That we'd have to place them on the wall. <laughs> they were measured right. We placed them all over the wall. Right. <laughs> okay, back to your big, big little foot. Little big foot. Little big foot. So the Higabon has a large nose, large, deep, glaring eyes, and is covered with bristles or fur. There is to account for this cryptid range from a gorilla, a wild man, or a deserter from the Japanese chefs to an, in chefs. To an individual ravaged by atomic radiation from the nuclear attack on Hiroshima. Which, that kind of makes sense to me, in a way. Uh, he's from Hiroshima? So the all the sightings are like around the Hiroshima like, area. Oh. So they're wow, thinking really? that it's someone that got like messed up from the radiation from Oh from the when okay. they got bombed. Okay. So I wasn't just making shit up once no. it attacked. Okay. It's like wow, you heard Hiroshima and just went <laughs> went dark. So a sighting from nineteen seventy two reports that the creature has a chocolate brown face and is covered with brown hair. Is he like a chocolate sailor? What? We talked about this. Billy and Mandy. And there's the chocolate sailor and he eats himself because he loves chocolate so much. <laughs> you said he had a chocolate <laughs> face. Okay. All right. I'm done. So, yeah. So he has a chocolate brown face. Didn't eat himself. <laughs> and is covered with brown hair. And is said to have deep glaring eyes. In two reports by a Mr. Sazawa and a Miss Hirana, the creature took no hostile action and fled from four armed residents intent on hunting it. The Higabon is much smaller than its North American counterpart, being most commonly reported as around five feet in height and estimated as weighing about 180 pounds. 
So a little little guy. Oh, my physique ish. You're taller than five foot. Oh, I know that, but they said around five foot. Okay. Or your height. I would say close. Height, I'd say closer, <laughs> closer to my physique. A little short tubby. Just kidding. So, in many respects, the Higabon is more ape-like than the Sasquatch as well. It is often described as looking like a gorilla or giant monkey, and although it is most often seen moving bipedally, bipedally on two feet. <laughs> Many reports tell of the creature moving about on all fours quite easily. Some eyewitnesses even claim the animal was hopping along like a monkey. So it probably is a gorilla. Other notable features are the Higabon's apparent lack of fear of people and the absence of any sort of vocalizations in the reports. The Higabon is mostly known from a series of sightings lasting from 1970 to 1982. Probably the first Higabon sighting account occurred in early 1970 when a group of elementary school students out picking wild mushrooms in the forests of <laughs> Mount Heba were terrified to come across an ape-like creature crashing through brush nearby. That same year, in July of 1970, the creature was spotted again by U the utilities truck driver. The driver reported seeing a gorilla-like creature on two legs walk across the field near a dam, run across the road, and disappear into the forest. Several days later, on July 23, 1970, the creature appeared again, this time out of brush and long grass in front of a surprised farmer. When I read that, all I could picture was so he looks so surprised. Right? <laughs> so the farmer described the Higabon as being as tall as an average man, covered in black fur, and having a grotesque face with piercing intelligent eyes. So it's weird, like some of these people are like, Oh, it's got brown fur. I know, I was going to say that, because, like, at first you are like, he's black, and then you said he's chocolate brown. I was like, right? wait, what color is he? These guys don't know. Apparently, no one can get on the same page. Right. So the Higabon was also sighted walking through a rice paddy in the town of Saijo around the same time. In December of that same year, strange tracks of the alleged creature measuring 21 centimeters in length were found in the snow of Mount Heba. By this time, the reports were becoming well-known and well-publicized in the media, while at the same time, the rural residents of the area were growing increasingly uneasy about the strange animal being seen in their forests. Sightings continued, and area residents became so uneasy that the country now known as Saijo Shibara actually set up a department to deal with the phenomena. They have their own, like, Squatch squad? Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Right? What do you do for a living? I'm on the Squatch squad. Squatch squad. <laughs> squad. So, in addition to documenting eyewitness accounts and trying to get to the bottom of what was going on, the department also launched patrols around the area in hopes of finding whatever was causing the reports. 
Hobie University conducted an investigation of the area in 1972 to try and find physical evidence of the Higabon, and police managed to make plaster casts at a construction site of some tracks allegedly made by the creature. No evidence was turned up by the university, and the tracks were found to be inconclusive. <laughs> Sightings continued through... Like, we can't tell if that's a footprint or not. Right. We don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we're here. We're just a squad squad. Right? So sightings continued through 1972 and 73, almost always during summer months, and in 1974... There was a significant spike in the amounts of reports. One such sighting occurred on August 15, 1974, when a motorist spotted a large blackish animal walking near the road on four legs. When the creature sensed the approaching vehicle, it is reported as standing up and walking along on two legs. The shocked driver then stopped the car and snapped a photo of the creature Trying to hide itself behind a permission. Persimmon tree? Permission tree? <laughs> Do I have permission? <laughs> Do I have permission to hide behind you? No, he needed to ask for permission to take the picture. Oh, he yeah. was behind the permission tree. <laughs> no, the, the piggy bong was. I know. So the guy needed to ask for permission. Because he was hiding. So other sightings in 1974 include a Higabon that was spotted crossing a road on June 20th, 1974. The dis the described the the driver described it as moving along in a series of hopping leaps. On July 15th, 1974, a woman saw one near her house and described it as very ape-like, like a gorilla walking around on two legs and about 1.6 meters tall. Not sure how tall that is in feet, but... A meter is what, three feet? Three point something? Sure, so... What, about four, four or five foot? Something like that? Yeah. There was an... There was even video footage taken of one walking along a remote mountain road. However, the footage is blurry and of poor quality, of course. Right, as they are. Many tracks were also discovered in the year of 1974, including a series of prints found on August 21st in a mountain valley. The footprints were 30 centimeters long, which is not large for a Sasquatch, but some of the biggest prints found for an alleged Higabon. After the surge of eyewitness accounts in 1974, sightings of the Higabon dropped off almost completely until 1980, when one was seen fleeing across a river with a bounding gate near the town of Yamano, where it became known as the Yamagun. It was spotted in the same area again in 1981 on a road near a health center but perhaps the most remarkable sighting of the time occurred in 1982 in Mitsugi, which is located about 30 kilometers west of Yamano. In this report, the Higabon was described as being more along the lines of Sasquatch in size, estimated at 2 meters tall. The most bizarre feature of the account was that it was said to be holding what looked like some sort of stone tool like an axe. This is the only account of a Higabon being that 
lard or wielding any sort of tool or weapon. After 1982, sightings abruptly stopped and the Higabon seemed to just fall off the face of the earth. There are practically no reliable reports of the creature after this time. He probably went to America to visit his cousin. Probably. Say what up, cuz? <laughs> they got a squad out there now. Can I come chill with you? Right. The squad squad. So one of the other things that I was reading that I thought I put in here but apparently didn't was that there were so many sightings between like 70 and 73 that they were, I don't know if it was the Squatch, the little Squatch the squad, squad that put it out or like the local government like paying people for their stories and then they were getting like so many more stories they were starting to question like if they were real stories right, they because they were paid so much. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a dumb idea on their part. Right. So then you don't know who actually saw something and who didn't. Yeah, so everybody's like, oh, yeah, I seen it. Give me my money. <laughs> Pick me up and shook me like a dog. What's <laughs> that movie? Picture that in Monsters, Inc. Okay. Just making sure we were on the same page. Talking about the kid at the sushi <laughs> restaurant. Who? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was funny. I don't know. That's all I can think of. Um. So, Higabond. 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 Yeah. Okay. And then they changed the name to something else. Yalabala. I don't know. Yalabala. <laughs> just made something up. I have no idea what you said. Okay. It's fine. You don't have to tell me. Yamagan. See, it I was close. As it was spotted in the town of Yamano. It's a Yamaka. Yamaka. It's not Jewish. So, okay, so they changed it because it got spotted in the other town? Or yeah. they just didn't ever hear about the Hemana body booty? Hagabon? Hagabon. Like, did they never hear about it? And then they saw it there and was like, it's a Yamaka. Yamagin. Yamagin. Yes. It's the Yamaka again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't think the Higabon was more towards Hiroshima and this but Yamano was south or whatever of Hiroshima, so they didn't know they hadn't heard of okay. Yeah. Also I was gonna say with all this happening in the seventies, do you think they were all on acid? Japan? I don't know. If it was America, I would say yes. <laughs> and then also with them all thinking it look do they have gorillas in Japan? Like is that a thing? Or are they like like Africa only type thing or I don't know. I would I wouldn't think so, but I know they have like I think they have like monkeys and shit over there. They but... probably have zoos and stuff. Maybe one escaped from the zoo and they were just like don't Tell anyone. It could be. I don't know why when I was thinking like when we were talking about like how they thought it could be like a person that just got messed up from the radiation from when they got bombed. All I could think about was like the Hills Have Eyes movies on those like the creepy people that uh -oh. are all messed up because the radiation. And right. Stuff. Yeah. I just. Here's my thing. You guys can be mad at me. I'm a huge skeptic about Sasquatch and all Bigfoot and all that stuff. Mainly because 
Have you ever seen, like, remains? You've never seen one? Nobody's ever actually really seen one and made, been able to prove it. Everything else you could prove, right? Yeah. That's why I'm a skeptic. So I'm thinking. A gorilla escaped a zoo. If they don't have gorillas just wandering in Japan, which I don't think they do. But a gorilla escaped from somewhere. Or someone released a gorilla. And they're all seeing it. And they're like, what the heck? Right. I don't know. That's my thought. I think it's a gorilla. The American one kind of have a theory on that one. It's people dressed up in a suit. No. It's two people dressed up in one suit. No. Like little little people stacked on top of each other. No, it's not midgets in a suit. You can't say midgets. Why? It's offensive. Have Sorry. you never heard John Mulaney tell you that? It's not little people <laughs> in a suit. Not two little people in a suit. Okay. What's your theory? I think, you know, the story of Cain and Abel. Right. Where Cain, his punishment is to live forever. Yeah. I think he is Sasquatch. That would be because a really good would punishment. he tall. He would be probably pretty freaking hairy. And he would probably smell pretty bad for living this long. Also, though... If he lived this long, he probably would have evolved with society, though, don't you think? I, I, I agree know. with what you're saying. That could it could be a possibility. But what if that's his punishment? Like he's that not he can't, allowed yeah, to. Yeah, could be. Could be. Get with the times. Get with the times, Kane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's not able. It makes him. <laughs> <laughs> that was my best joke. I thank you all. And I was like, I don't know if you've watched many or any of the like the Sasquatch hunting hunter shows, whatever. Of Sasquatch course I have, because you turned them on at night. I know. I like had them. to sleep to them. <laughs> I like them. It's, well, I mean, it's just interesting. Like, the stuff that these people find, you're like, what the hell else could have made that? Or, like, these sounds they hear when they go out at night. It's like, especially in the United States. There's not just monkeys and shit running around in the forest. So, like, what is making these noises that they hear or... The other part of the crew that's not on the camera. <laughs> I am not a skeptic, if you can't tell. I believe that Sasquatch is out there somewhere. And there's probably more than one. I don't know, but... If your theory of that it's Kane, there is not another one. There would only be one. That is true. Which he could move around from state to state. Yeah. So. He's probably having a good ass time if that's who it is. Right? I'm messing around with it. I'm fudging around with everybody. Ralph would be proud of that one. Fudge. Hello, <laughs> oh, Brian. I would probably be a little scared if I seen something like that. And My dad did in McCall. That was Asquatch. No Sasquatch. <laughs> we went uh, to Nepal one year and it was, we were first married, weren't we? Yeah. So it's been like almost 14 years ago. Um, we went with my family and we were cliff diving and Brian was up at the top and we were down at the bottom. 
and he gets our attention and moons us. <laughs> and huh. my dad thought he saw Sasquatch. <laughs> Told you it's Sasquatch. Sasquatch. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want me to cut that out? I don't care. <laughs> I ain't ashamed. I'm not ashamed either. Mine's just as hairy. I'm just joking. <laughs> it really is, though. That's why we fell in love. We bonded over butt cheeks. Yeah, so that's your story. That's my story. That's part of my story. Part of your disgusting story. It is a disgusting story. It's so bad, you guys. It just... There's a special place in hell for people like that. And I didn't even tell you. They're Ken and Barbie killers because they're, like, attractive people. But I don't think that I'd really look at them and be like, ooh. But, like, they were very into their appearance. Like, hair, huge hair. You know, like, the big old, like, my Aunt Christine always had the big hair and everything. Yeah. He even had some fancy-ass hair, you know. I was wondering how they became of that name. Yeah, just because they were attractive people or, I don't know. Which is stupid. Right. This is a dumb name for them. I mean, when I first heard it, I was like, killing people, like, dressed as Ken and Barbie? or their names Ken and Barbie? Like, what's going on? And I was wondering, I was like, I've seen the name, or you said the names, and I was like, well, it's kind of weird. Like, they're not even... That's not... <laughs> yeah. They're very into their parents. Very. So. Anyway, those are our stories for this week. We appreciate you guys continuing to come back. Brian is doing something weird with his microphone. So, anyway, yeah. Like us on... No. What? Follow our Facebook group. Deathly Afraid Podcast. Follow our Instagram. At Deathly Afraid Podcast. Send us a message. Somewhere. Somewhere. Anywhere. <laughs> you can email us at deathlyafraidpod at gmail.com. Please go like, rate, subscribe to the podcast. Share with your friends. We definitely appreciate the help. Yeah, especially this week. I want to know if any of our listeners have their own Sasquatch stories. Make me a believer, guys. Yeah, make Willie a believer. Actually, I'll probably call you crazy, but not a no. I won't. I won't call you crazy. Just Brian. Not a believer. Not a believer. Like Justin Bieber's fans were calling them. They're believers. (laughs) That sounds horrible. (laughs) Yeah, so if you have your own Sasquatch encounter or know a story of anybody that does, um, you can send it to us on Facebook Messenger or um, deathlyafraidpod at gmail.com. Yeah, or there. And just on the subject line, say... Squatch stories, or mm-hmm. and even if it's not a squatch story, you can still send us a story yeah. or experiences. So, all right, guys, thanks for listening. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.